When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Kudzu Killers. And because today is our 50th show, we thought it would be a great idea to mark this momentous occasion with where it all began. Or at least where it began for us. Right, Kim? Began there for me when I was a kid. Yeah. (laughs) I've always loved this story because I'm a sick, twisted person. But okay. You know, I always tell people, she's silent, but she's deadly, y'all. So... So I'm going to cover some of the basic gore and Kim's going to kick in some other stuff because she knows a lot of those deep down dirty details. So here we go. Perhaps the most famous and iconic serial killer in history. That would be our old leather apron himself, Jack the Ripper. Woohoo! <laughs> Woohoo! This story is so full of red herrings and so many directions that the case could go. Experts are still not sure today of who the actual killer was. So you could dedicate your life to solving this crime and a debate forever and ever. Amen. And some have, but I'm going to do my best to hit the highlights for y'all. And we'll leave the fun of deeper dives to the rest of you guys. So picture the scene. The grimy slums of Whitechapel, London, 1888. Police and the neighborhood people looked down in horror ah, at the first savagely mutilated victim's body lying on the filthy street. And so it began. And now you know why I call her the drama queen. <laughs> <laughs> in the early mornings, hours of April 3rd, 1888, 45-year-old prostitute Emma Smith was viciously attacked while walking home. While she did make it home, she died the next morning after stating she was assaulted by three men. Now, this didn't really raise much of an alarm at the time, as so much violence was really not that unusual. While she had been raped, more so violated with a blunt object and basically beaten near to death, she wasn't flat out murdered. Her assault was the first in what is now known as the Autumn of Terror that reigned in the Whitechapel and Spitalfields district of London. This began a wave of extraordinary violence that 
terrified the East End and shocked the world. Experts agree that this is in the zone of Jack's hunting ground and speculate that this was the beginning of his slippery slope, as most killers, as we all know, don't really start off with murder right off the bat. We know that they kind of work their way up to it. Mm -hmm. So where violence was fairly common, murder itself in this time was, was just not typical. So some believe that Jack had killed up to 11 other women, starting with Emma Smith. Then a second frenzied murder of another prostitute by the name of Martha Tombrum. Although Martha had been repeatedly stabbed, she had not been raped or violated, nor suffered any slash wounds to her throat or abdomen. Now, because of this difference in the wound pattern, many experts do not connect Martha's murder with the later murders. So 11 separate murders stretching from the 3rd of April, 1888 to the 13th of February, 1891, were included in a London Metropolitan Police Service investigation and were known collectively in the police docket as the Whitechapel murders. Five of the 11 Whitechapel murders are known as the canonical five, and they are widely believed to be the work of actually Jack the Ripper. The first two cases in the Whitechapel murders files, those of Emma Smith and Martha Tabram, are not included in the canonical five because they didn't follow the same M.O. like we mentioned before. And most experts point to the deep slash wounds to the throat, followed by extensive abdominal and genital area mutilation. Also, the removal of internal organs and the progressive facial mutilations as the distinctive features of the Ripper's modus operandi. And so for those of you who don't know, and, and I got to admit, I didn't know for a long time. I had to look this up too. So I'm just going to hit y'all too. Canonical means <laughs> conforming to a general rule or acceptable procedure and typically following a characteristic and predictable behavior pattern. So basically it's an old school word for profiling, really. And it's still used. It's still used. They call the grouping, they group killings together and call them the canonical killings of whichever serial killer they're looking at so it's still used but yeah right but we don't hear this very much i mean you know this is kind of like this is the the big fame one um and like i say i just just wanted to fyi y'all so so anyway they were already profiling back then they just didn't call it that so the canonical five started with marianne nichols and this is where jack's pattern starts to emerge on August the 31st, 1888, the body of Marianne Nichols, also known as Polly, was found on the dirty, slick cobblestones of Bucks Row, which is now known as Derward Street, or Derward Street, in Whitechapel. And she was found at 3.40 a.m. by a carman named Charles Allen Cross. He discovered her and he called the police. As we all know, the Jack has never been found. And while there's been loads of suspects and finger pointing that Kim's going to tell us about later, he is actually suspected by some as having been the actual infamous serial killer, Jack the Ripper himself. Which often happens. Yeah. Often the person who finds the first body is really the killer. He wants them to know he's he's doing this. He needs to bring attention to it. Right. Now... Charles Cross was a meat cart driver. They they call him a car man, but what that really means is he was a meat cart delivery guy. And he was from the east side of London, and he worked for a place called the Pickford's Company. So that to the side, police protocol back then was to clear the scene as fast as possible. 
So within a little over an hour, Nichols' body was moved into the old Montague Street mortuary at 5.20 a.m. So she was whisked away. Blood was washed off the street. Bam. Nothing happened here. Move on. So the injuries to her abdomen were discovered by Inspector Spradling, who immediately sent for Dr. Reese Ralph Llewellyn. Dr. Llewellyn discovered that both sides of her face had been bruised by either a fist or like the pressure of a thumb before her throat wounds had been inflicted from the left to right. And one of these wounds measured eight inches and the other four inches in length. And both reached back to her vertebral column. So basically when he slashed her, he almost cut her head off. Her vagina had been stabbed twice. Her abdomen had been mutilated with one deep, jagged wound two or three inches from the left side. Several cuts slashed across her lower abdomen, ripping open another deep wound and causing her her bowels and her internal um, intestines just to sort of protrude and spilling out. And three or four similar cuts ran down the side of her right body. These cuts had been inflicted with the same knife, and it was estimated to be at least six to eight inches long and possibly a cork cutter or a shoemaker's knife. And that kind of goes to something a little bit later about the leather apron and the shoemakers that they accused later down the road, which also never came to anything. So each wound had been inflicted in a violent and downward thrusting manner. And Dr. Llewellyn believed that the murderer possessed some anatomical knowledge, not necessarily that he was a doctor, but that's what he thought at the time. Now, at this point, no organs were missing. Dr. Llewellyn estimates the injuries would have taken four to five minutes to complete. And he also expressed his surprise at the small amount of blood at the actual crime scene, which he commented and said was only enough to fill about two large wine glasses or maybe um, a half a pint of fluid. Which is, what would that be, Kim? Two cups? A half a pint is a cup. Oh, well, there you go. Cup. A pint is two cups. Yeah. Kim is our recipe and cook girl. <laughs> So, anyway, he believed Marianne had been facing her attacker. So, it's kind of like, you know, his hand was on her throat, right? And the killer had held his hand across her mouth before cutting her throat. And death would have been instantaneous, and all of her abdominal injuries were made by the murderer after she was dead. He eviscerated her post-mortem. Yeah. (laughs) I I just see this real, like, okay, I'm going to kill you, but now I'm really going to, you know? Um, So Dr. Llewellyn was able to determine this fact because wounds inflicted to an individual's body after death don't result in blood spattering and may not result in an extensive amount of blood loss from the body. Because, of course, not your body's, your heart's not pounding, pumping anymore. So only a week later, on September the 8th, 1888, the body of Annie Marie Chapman was found outside in the yard of 29 Hanbury Street. Now, her throat was cut the same as Mary Ann's, but this time the murderer took Annie's womb. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Although previous murders linked to Jack, who at this point was still known as the Whitechapel murderer, had received considerable press and public attention, the murder of Annie Chapman really generated a state of panic in the East End of London. The police surgeon, Dr. George Baxter Phillips, was quickly able to establish a definite link between Chapman's murder and the murder of Marianne Nichols. 
and regarded Annie as the second canonical victim. So here we go. Annie had also suffered two deep slash wounds to the throat inflicted from the left to the right of her neck before her murderer had mutilated her abdomen and a blade of similar size and design had been used in both the murders. Annie's throat had been slashed so deeply and viciously that the bones of her vertebral column had striations on them. They could see where they marked. He was, he was starting to cut through her actual spine. So she had been disemboweled with a section of the flesh from her stomach had been taken and placed upon her left shoulder and another Mm. section of skin and flesh plus her small intestines being removed and sort of draped above her right shoulder. So I'm seeing like he sort of yanked out and tossed over her shoulder like a bloody feather boa kind of thing. The morgue examination revealed that part of her uterus and bladder were missing. So, you know, it makes me wonder, okay, why is he taking it? Is he taking it? Is he eating it? You know, your mind is starting to wonder, oh, what's he doing? Maybe he has a problem with mothers, so he just wants to rip out the uterus. There's so many ways we can just speculate. I know. We could go on and on. We're so gruesome and ghoulish. Well, meanwhile, Chapman's protruding tongue and swollen face led Dr. Phillips to believe she may have been strangled um, with a, like a handkerchief or just a little, you know, scarf around her neck before her throat was cut because he always seemed to kill him before he did all this mutilation. So I, I don't know what to think about you that. You think that maybe he knew that there would be less blood at the scene by doing that or that he just not have the stomach to do it to them while they were alive so he killed them first so he could have his way and do whatever he wanted to i think he killed them so that they wouldn't yell and scream and carry on you know because he wanted to do all that stuff and you can't really do that to somebody if they're going to be jumping up and trying to run and you're catching them and it just you know it would blow his cover big times so anyway dr phillips also tends to think that he had held her chin as he slit her throat. And you know what? I'm just, I'm just seeing that as like, you know, a lover holding your chin, but then, you know, (laughs) anyway, Dr. Phillips also observed six areas of blood spattering upon the wall of the house between the steps and wooden fencing dividing 27 and 29 Hanbury street. I'm pretty sure that whoever, if it wasn't, if it wasn't actually Jack, there was a man she walked into this courtyard with, this backyard, as like her last trick because she was also a prostitute. Right. So they had overheard the deal going down and then they went into the backyard. And that's why there's all this blood on the fences. And some of these splatterings were 18 inches above the ground, which would lead you to surmise that, yes, her dissection took place on that spot. He had a little more privacy there. So again, Dr. Phillips was of the opinion that the murderer must have possessed some anatomical knowledge to have sliced out her reproductive organs in a single movement with a blade about six to eight inches long. Again, the same size. Now, a lot of other people really believe that the idea that the murderer possessed surgical skills was pretty much dismissed. It's also been suggested that the organ was removed by mortuary staff who took advantage of bodies that had already been opened to extract organs that they could sell as surgical specimens. It makes me think about our previous uh, <laughs> our previous story on selling body parts, which is very recent, <laughs> by the way. 
<laughs> so but yes, know, it's it's very similar, isn't it? That yeah, so, so I'm sure so, it happened a lot. Uh, yeah, you know, there've been many. They've been trying to you know make a buck since way back in the day. That's <laughs> so. If y'all want to check out that most recent story, um, that's our funeral parlor story about them selling body parts in the last five years. By the way. I think we're going to take a break here and we'll come back with more red herrings and false leads and all kinds of interesting ways to look at things and the name Leather Apron. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, I'm Jenny, the host of It's Murder Up North. If you're curious about the murderous north of England, this podcast is definitely for you. I've lived in various parts of the north of England. I went to college in the shadow of Saddleworth Moor, where Myra Hindley and Ian Brady buried those five innocent children. I've worked in the city of Leeds, where the Yorkshire Ripper targeted his victims in the 1970s. Knowing how geographically close I've been to these crimes made me curious, and that curiosity became this podcast. However, my main hope is to help you see the person, not the victim. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, we're back with more details of this scandalous, horrible Victorian crime. More red herrings, false leads, and... The name Leather Apron, because I always wondered about that. Dr. Phillips also noted at this previous murder that there was a leather apron that was partially submerged in a dishpan of water, kind of located close to a tap in that yard near her mutilated body. Mm -hmm. Well, the press reported the discovery of this apron fueling local rumors, which had been published in the Star newspaper on the 4th of September following the murder of Mary Ann Nichols, that a Jew from the district 
known as, quote, Leather Apron, was responsible for the Whitechapel murders. Right. Now, there were some other things that went on that I I don't really want to go into, but there was a lot of racial tension at that time. And a lot of anti-Semitism, because a lot of the suspects were Jews. Right. And and the thing is, is that the Leather Apron thing was about a particular man who made he made shoes, you know, or, or they wore these leather aprons in that district because they were laborers, you know. Anyway, this all proved to be false, but continued to stoke growing anti-Semitism in the district at the time. Meanwhile, the police are still getting nowhere, and the press continues to fuel the flames with gory images, graphic details of the brutal mutilations, which they were basically making up, and outlandish speculations as to who the killer could be. Because the deal was is that basically the police were not, they really weren't giving them any details. They weren't working with the press. They really could care less. The press were bothersome. So the Ripper murders mark an important watershed in the treatment of crime, by journalists because they were making it up, you know? Mm -hmm. So this particular case was the first to create such a worldwide media frenzy, to be honest. Now, you may or may not have heard about this little tidbit. And there is something called, there were several of these, but there is something called the Dear Boss, quote unquote, letter. And it was dated on the 25th of September and postmarked 27th September, 1888. And it was received... That same day by the Central News Agency. Now, start putting all this together. The Central News Agency got this letter, right? And then it was forwarded to Scotland Yard on the 29th of September. Okay? So, it's kind of floating through their hands to the police, not directly to the police. Well, at first the police kind of blew it off and then they began to take it seriously. The letter, this first letter, was written in red ink. And I'm not going to read you all the letter. You can go read it. Within the letter, they comment that they wanted to write it in the victim's blood, but it congealed, and so they're using red ink. And it's very kind of childish, really. It's what they think a killer would write. Right. It was two pages long, and it contained several spelling and punctuation errors, and it was signed, Jack the Ripper. The overall motivation of the author was obviously to mock the investigation efforts and to allude to future murders. Now, the name Jack the Ripper was first used in this letter and gained worldwide notoriety after its publication. So since the police were so tight-lipped about any of the details, the press were just making it up, including the letters. So there were a couple more, I believe a postcard and one other one. Um, And in the end, a journalist named Fred Best reportedly confessed in 1931 that he and a colleague at the Star remember the star, (laughs) had written the letters signed Jack the Ripper to heighten the interest in the murders and keep the money and the business flowing. Mm -hmm. Yep, I don't doubt that. I I don't doubt it at all. I really don't because, you know, and I go back and I think it's kind of ironic because they're supposed to be journalists and, you know, they made all these grammar and misspelling errors and stuff like that. But then again, maybe they tried to make it seem like whatever they you know, so more deception, only adding to the murky mix of the truth. So on to victims three and four. So we're going to get a little more gory. If y'all have never heard about the murders of Jack the Ripper, which is hard for me to believe, but if you haven't, these are a little disturbing, wouldn't you say, Kim? Uh, yes. The next two are much more disturbing yes. than what y'all have already heard. So victims three and four, Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Dowles. 
were both killed in the early mornings of Sunday, the 30th of September in 1888. Now, all these murders, you got to keep in mind, were, you know, in a really short block of time, if you think about it, to have caused such insanity in the world. Anyway, they were killed within less than an hour of each other, okay? Elizabeth's body was discovered at approximately 1 a.m. in Dutfield's yard off Burner Street, which is now uh, Enrique Street in Whitechapel. The cause of death was a single clear-cut incision measuring six inches across her neck, which had severed her left carotid artery and her trachea before terminating beneath her right jaw. The absence of any further mutilations to her body led to uncertainty as to whether Stride's murder was committed by the Ripper or whether he was just interrupted during the attack. Right. Yeah, they wonder if he wasn't just interrupted before he got a chance to do the post-mortem bit that he liked to do. Right, because not even an hour later, Catherine's body was found in Mitre Square in within the city of London. And, you know, um, things are a little bit different now as far as where the streets are and this and that. But at the time, it was only 45 minutes after the discovery of the body of Elizabeth Stride. So he must have bolted, you know. Her throat was severed and her abdomen ripped open by a long, deep and jagged wound before her intestines had been placed over her right shoulder, just like Annie. Remember Mm -hmm. Annie and her boa? Mm Mm-hmm. The left kidney and the major part of the uterus had been removed. But again, that could have been afterward because they didn't look at these things at the scene. Right, right. Her face, although, you know, this this had to happen on the spot. Her face had been disfigured. Her nose was cut off. Her cheek was slashed. And, and for some reason, this is the part that grosses me out the most. There were cuts that measured a quarter of an inch and a half inch, respectively, and vertically incised through each of her eyelids. Kind of like mm-hmm. if you took a pair of scissors and snipped somebody's eye- eyelids, mm-hmm. you know? Ew, yeah. I don't know. That just, that's something that... Uh. Either that so, or he started but, to do, you know, cut them out and just he couldn't bring himself to do it or something. Who knows? So a triangular incision kind of that pointed towards the eye was also carved on each of her cheeks. So who knows why? And then also a section of her right ear was later recovered from her clothing. So he was going to cut her ears off too. And I'm not sure if he got interrupted or what, but he left her at that. Right. So, so the police surgeon who conducted the postmortem on Catherine's body stated his opinion, these mutilations would have taken again, at least five minutes to complete. So he started out over there, got interrupted, dashed over, found this other lady, Killed her, cut her up, and all of that within 45 minutes, which is basically the same as it, the same amount of time they were saying it took on the other victims around what five to six minutes. So to me, the killer seems to be becoming more and more vicious and frenzied, you know, like doing even more damage in the same amount of time as he took before. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Even though he, he was taken the same amount of time, he wasn't just going crazy on him. So, you know, he ran from Elizabeth to Catherine, basically, I think, to just satisfy his bloodlust because right. he got started. Mm-hmm. He got started and... He didn't get to finish. That kind of goes... Yeah. Well, yeah, and it kind of goes to something that one of the other doctors has to say about well, sexual erotic reasons that he would have done these things. So the murders of Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Edo's ultimately became known as the double event. And so the last of the 
Canonical Five was Mary Jane Kelly. And I think this one was the worst of them all, even though the other one grossed me out a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think this is the worst. Now, she was actually killed in her home, which kind of deviates from the other ladies because all the other women sort of been snatched off the street, even though they had all been known prostitutes. Back then, to be a prostitute just basically meant you were trying to stay alive. It wasn't quite like we think of it now. So her extensively mutilated and disemboweled body was discovered lying on the bed in her single room where she lived at 13 Miller's Court off Dorset Street in Spitalfield at 10.45 a.m. on Friday, November the 9th. Her face had been hacked beyond recognition. And there are some pictures out there that are pretty gruesome of her. Yeah. And if we look at those pictures nowadays, they might not gross us out or freak us out as much. But back then, you know, you just didn't see ladies with their skirts above their ankles. That didn't happen. And, you know, she's she's laying out there on that bed as well as you please in front of God and everybody. Not that that was her choice, but um, and her face is cut off. Basically, her face is smashed in. It's you can't mm-hmm. even tell really if it's smashed or if it's cut off. It's horrible. There is no face. Her throat is severed down to her spine, and then we get to her abdomen. He took everything out of of her. He emptied her of organs, her uterus, mm-hmm. her kidneys. He cut off a breast and put it beneath her head for some reason. Who knows? Other organs from her body he put around the room and like he put some things by her her feet and around the bed kind of like I don't know if he was throwing them maybe who knows and it's almost like it wasn't him you know it, uh, there was some speculation I think that it wasn't Jack the Ripper that did that murder but the victim's husband right yeah because again she was in a home and all these other ladies didn't have homes they were on the streets to make their couple of pennies so that they could go and sleep in DOS houses and some of these houses were so packed with people that they didn't even get to sit down or lay down they had ropes that would string from one side of the room to the other and you just leaned over the rope and stood up to sleep mm-hmm. so that's how impoverished these folks were and these women were on the street. So this lady to say she has a bed is, is just, you know, a completely different deal. So yeah, I'm kind of more on your page where this was uh, her husband taking advantage of the situation. And it also looks like he was digging through her innards and just throwing them, you know, because sections of her abdomen and thighs were placed on the bedside table. Well, I don't think they were placed. They were probably cut up, just thrown around. And then, but, but with this one, her heart was missing. So that makes me think that your theory is, you know, poignant. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because I think I want to say that she was married to a guy who did not like the fact that she was having to be a po- mm-hmm. prostitute to mm-hmm. make ends meet. I'm pretty sure. If I'm not mistaken. And he started out, they always speculated that he started out with the other killings maybe and did a couple of those too, just to scare her off the street and get her not to be a prostitute anymore. But they seriously needed money. So she did it anyway. And so it incensed him and he kind of went crazy and, and killed her too. Am I totally off base with that? I, I think that that's probably a good assessment of that. One of the things about all of these women that I know is that they were all 
alcoholics. And that came from, some of them started out as really decent women and had been married. And, um, you know, they just, uh, for one reason or the other, they couldn't, life just, you know, crashed in on them and they started to drink. And that was one theme that all of them had bad reputations for being just really bad alcoholics. I mean, who could really know whether one person was or not back then because people drank so heavy constantly to just get away from the life circumstances on the street. It was it was a horrible, horrible slum back in the day, you know? So, you know, you just can't fault anybody. But like I say, uh, wh- whoever did do this, he really seemed to have unleashed his full rage on poor Mary Jane. Just to recap a little, each of the canonical five murders were perpetuated at night on or close to a weekend around the end of the month. They speculated that whoever did it had a job and had a, you know, a money and an income. And he wasn't just working on the docks or anything like that. They thought he was, he had a job that had decent money and it was like Monday through Friday kind of deal. Mm -hmm. So the mutilations became increasingly severe as the series of murders proceeded, except for that of Elizabeth Stride, remember whose attacker was interrupted. Mary Nichols was not missing any organs. Annie Chapman's uterus and sections of her bladder and vagina were taken. Catherine Edo's had her uterus and left kidney removed and her face was mutilated. And then Mary Jane Kelly's body was extensively eviscerated with her face basically gashed in all directions and the tissue of her neck being severed to the bone. Although the heart was the only body organ missing from that particular crime scene. Historically, the belief these five canonical murders were committed by the same perpetrator is derived from contemporary documents which link them together to the exclusion of others. Mary Jane Kelly, the last woman in the in the actual home, she's generally considered to be the Ripper's final victim and is assumed that the crimes ended because of the culprit's death, imprisonment, possible institutionalization, or immigration. The Whitechapel Murders file details another four murders that occurred after the canonical five. Remember, I mentioned to you there were 11 that they were looking at. The others were Rose Mellett, Alice McKenzie, the Pinchon Street Torso, I don't think they ever found any other parts, and Francis Coles. Not to diminish their deaths, but they didn't have any of the hallmarks of being murdered by Jack and still are not attributed to him. So, you know, like we said before, it was a really brutal time in the world and lots of people died from all sorts of things. So, It was understandable that they were having a hard time separating those who were killed or died randomly from something that they had never really encountered before, which is one of the worst serial killers in history, right? Mm -hmm. The vast majority of the City of London police files relating to this investigation into the Whitechapel murders were destroyed in the Blitz. Can you imagine? Yeah, that's... That really sucks. In so many ways, but yeah. For those of you guys who are not familiar with that part of history, the Blitz was a German bombing campaign against the United Kingdom in 1940 and 1941 during the Second World War. Now, the surviving Metropolitan Police files allow a detailed view of investigative procedures in the Victorian era. 
which is pretty interesting, actually. A large team of policemen conducted house-to-house inquiries throughout Whitechapel, and forensic material was collected and examined. Suspects were identified, traced, and either examined more closely or eliminated from the inquiry. And now, a modern police work still follows the same pattern. So that's kind of cool and interesting. So at the time, more than 2,000 people were interviewed. Upwards of 300 people were investigated and 80 people were detained. But ultimately, no one was prosecuted. And to this day, the identity of the real killer is still unknown. Police Surgeon Thomas Bond's profile of the character of the Whitechapel murderer is the earliest surviving offender profile. How cool is that? I think that's Mm -hmm. so cool. Now, Bond's assessment was based on his own examination of the most extensive mutilated victim and the post-mortem notes from the four previous canonical murders. Bond was strongly opposed to the idea that the murderer possessed any kind of scientific or anatomical knowledge, or even the technical knowledge of a butcher or a horse slaughterer, because there were horse knackers there, and all of that was, you know. So they also weren't very concerned at the time, because they'd look around and see people covered in blood. It was no big deal, you know. There was the butchers, there were the, the, the horse people. Sorry, sorry, animal folks. Um, anyway, so Bond, in his opinion, the killer must have been a man of solitary habits, subject to periodical attacks of homicidal and erotic mania. Remember, we mentioned that before. Right. With the character of the mutilations possibly indicating hypersexuality. So basically, he had to do this his, just like we see nowadays. To get his jollies. Yeah, it's the only way he could get off. How weird is that? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> uh, Bond also stated that the homicidal impulse may have developed from a revengeful or brooding condition of the mind or that religious mania may have been part of the original disease, but he didn't truly believe either of those things were likely later down the road. There's no evidence the perpetrator engaged in sexual activities with any of these victims. He just cut them up. I mean, he really didn't have time to do anything. Yet psychologists suppose that the penetration of the victims with a knife and leaving them on display in sexually degrading positions with the wounds exposed indicates that the perpetrator derived sexual pleasure from the attacks. Well, right. I think we would all agree yeah, that. Sure. So ultimately, the term ripperology was coined to describe the study and analysis of the ripper cases and the murders have inspired loads of works of fiction, scared lots of little mm-hmm. children. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to mention that I didn't try to describe the killer because there were so many different descriptions that he literally could have been most any man in London in 1888. And I know Kim will add a little bit of this to possibly <laughs> to our story because she knows she knows a little more. But um, so that is a very condensed version of Jack the Ripper and our 50th episode. Woohoo! Woohoo! Well, let me go into it a little bit, uh, if you don't mind. Yeah, please. <laughs> I'm gonna. No, I don't. I know. I, I want you to give you you because you know you know lots of good stuff. I, I just wanted to mention a few of my theories and uh, well, one or two of my theories. Yeah, and and talk about a little bit about some of these suspects. There were so many suspects, like you said. Uh, there were a lot of a lot of suspects who were Jewish because there was a lot of anti-Semitism going on about that that time with Polish immigrants coming in, Mm -hmm. immigrating in, people feeling like, especially people in the East End, which was poverty stricken, and that they were taking Mm -hmm. over the jobs and 
getting the nicer places to stay and things like that. They had a big problem with that. But one of the most interesting ones, and I'm sure everybody who's followed Jack knows this one, is Prince Albert Victor, who was the grandson of Queen Victoria Mm -hmm. and second in line for the throne. (laughs) He Uh evidently had had gonorrhea. They said syphilis at the time, I think, but they later found out it was gonorrhea. But they tried to say he was driven mad by syphilis infection and things like that. He did have an STD. It was gonorrhea instead, and he was treated for that. But they also kind of speculated. There were rumors that he visited a gay brothel called Cleveland Street Brothel, where a lot of high-ranking British officials evidently liked to frequent. They kind of thought he might have had a thing against women and started doing this. I don't think so. I think that was just something that they did, Mm -hmm. a rumor they started to get, you know, make it a big deal. Oh, it was the royal family. It was Victoria's grandson. Uh Uh-huh. But they did did have a kind of an interesting thing where they thought that, well, he died in 1892, so he didn't live very long after the murders were over with. And so that kind of added a little fuel to the fire. That's why he stopped, because the prince died but right, right there was also like the the feeling that he had an uh, an affection for one of the prostitutes and killed her and so the, the royal family mm. had the other four right. or ever how many it was killed off to kind of cover up for what he had done mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was an interesting little thing theory that they had back then uh, and lewis carroll lewis carroll was somebody else you know the the guy who wrote alice in wonderland and They kind of thought there's a a guy out there who has taken paragraphs from his books and poems and made them into anagrams that spell out really scary sounding things about killing people and and everything. And you can look those up. If you look up Lewis Carroll Suspect, uh, you can see some of the paragraphs from those books that they this guy did an anagram from to make it sound sinister. Mm -hmm. But I don't think Lewis Carroll did it either. My thing is... I think that the guy who did it, because, you know, they've always said that the Jack the Ripper star- stopped in London because he came to the U.S. or somewhere else and started killing here. And right. I kind of think that might actually mm-hmm. be right. And his name, mm-hmm. this guy's name, was Francis Tumblety. That was his name. He mm-hmm. had been arrested before in in 1888 for, I guess you would call it lewd acts or homosexual acts, which were illegal. Which were illegal up until the 60s or 70s, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I think so. In England specifically, because, you know, Alan Turing was a homosexual, but he couldn't admit it, you know. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. um, eventually killed him. But right. it was, a you know, there were rumors that he had shown off wombs of every class of women around the world, he said, or around, you know, something like that. Mm. And he was connected to the death of a patient of his. He was sort of a, I guess you would call him a quack. <laughs> he claimed to be an, an Indian herb doctor. Um, oh, gosh. And he uh-huh. traveled throughout the United States and Canada. And he was described as a misogynist. He didn't like women. He was connected, like I said, to the death of one of his patients, but he got away with it. This was in 1865. Uh, he was connected mm-hmm. to the assassination of Abraham Lincoln at one point. And then he was in England, 1888. And that's where he was arrested for the homosexual activities. Mm-hmm. Awaiting trial for that, he fled to France and then to the U.S. So I think 
that he could have been some of the murders because I actually don't think they were all committed by Jack the Ripper. Maybe the four of the five. I don't think Mary Kelly was at all. Right, right. Because like I said earlier, Mary Kelly had a, he wasn't her husband. He was a boyfriend, basically, who didn't like the fact that she was a prostitute. He didn't like her going around with other men. He would come and he would visit her and he would pay her for her time when he would visit her. And now his name was Joseph Barnett and he was a fish porter, Mm -hmm. which could go to the leather apron thing as well. And blood all over you. Uh Uh-huh. They've kind of felt, and there's an author who wrote a book about this named Bruce Paley, but they kind of felt like he was angry because she still took other lovers. She's trying to make ends meet. The girl has a room, like you said. The girl likes to drink, so she's got Mm -hmm. to pay for all of that Mm -hmm. stuff. So she wasn't just letting him come around and be Mm -hmm. hers exclusively. So they kind of thought that he might have started the killing at first, maybe a couple of the women, in order to scare her out of doing prostitution anymore because it was all prostitutes. And so he, yeah. they, they kind of think, and I kind of think that he did that. And that's why when you got to Mary Kelly, she's not like the other ones, really. She's got all of her organs taken right. out. They're, they're scattered mm-hmm. all over the room instead of being slung over her shoulder. Mm-hmm. That was very specific. That was his thing. And hers wasn't done that way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. parts here, parts there, a boob under her head, all this other stuff. And then her face was cut mm-hmm. off or bashed in. That's really personal. That's when you're really pissed off at somebody. And he, why would Jack the Ripper be that ticked off at her? He was just a guy who liked to murder women to get off like you said. So I really right. think I really think it was two or, uh, two or more people who were doing these killings. And I think Joseph Barnett was one of them, personally. Right. That's my personal right. opinion. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, people uh, at the time saw their opportunity. Well, yeah, I think a lot of, probably yeah. some of the other 11 are husbands who wanted to get rid of their wives because they were sick of them or whatever, and they just made it look like because, uh, you know, a copycat, because people do that now. The Tylenol well, yeah. murders and things like yeah, that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and so I, even though we talk about so many different murders, you know, it's pretty much not that much no, new. it's just like tropes <laughs> for writing people. There's so many tropes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's only so many ways you can do it. And there's basically only so many reasons, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and it's always going to be. Mm-hmm. Love or money, period. But there are so many other really, there are a lot of suspects that sound reasonable. Theories. Uh, I think Wikipedia has a list of them somewhere uh, in there. If you look up Ripper suspects or something like that, there's a whole slew mm-hmm. of people mm-hmm. that were suspected at one time or another. And you can take a look and make up your own mind, see if you think. Well, again, there's just so much, and that's why um, I cannot believe if you've never actually heard of Jack the Ripper. But, you know, so I was still trying to take it down to a little bit basic. And then, you know, Kim, Kim, oh my goodness, Kim knows so much. Well, Kim, I, I don't know, I told you. I'm a ghoul, and this is my one of my favorite stories. <laughs> Well, I know this is, yeah, this is pretty much many, many people's favorite stories if they, you know, but also to um, mention your tour, man. Oh, yeah. If you're ever in London visiting and have a chance, take a Jack the Ripper tour. We took one. I cannot recall the man's name, but we took one of the tours. My daughter's just as sick as I am. And we decided to go on one of the Jack the Ripper tours. She had to have her picture taken 
by the spot where the last victim was found. So, you know. I'm surprised. Did she lay on the ground? I, I can't imagine she didn't. No, did she, she lay, on the, lay on the ground. The guy said, you want to lay on the ground? We'll take your picture on the ground. And she's like, no, it's okay. I'll just stand here and point. Uh-huh. So, I would have laid on the ground myself, you know, but... Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. We we could have even drawn, you know, drawn some a little outline around yeah, you or something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, um, well, thanks for you know adding to my 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 attempt because I definitely do not know as much as Kim. <laughs> but uh, you do now. I, uh, it was <laughs> yes, I. I do. I mean, I, I actually know a little bit more than I shared with you guys, but that's not the point. There's only so many minutes in the day and, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, this was our 50th, Yay. this is our 50th episode. And, you know, we both want to say thank you guys for sticking with us. We really appreciate you. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And I mean, we just keep getting really nice feedback and I'm so it just makes me all warm and fuzzy when we're talking about blood and gore, yeah, and, gore and guts, man. Totally. totally. <laughs> so I hope that you will um, stick with us to our hundredth and yeah. then beyond, because because next thing you know we'll be at our hundredth, right. won't we, Kim? That's right. Well, we did this in six months, a little less than. So I don't even know. It seems know. like a flash. I know it doesn't seem that long. It's like June yeah. since June. So is that six or five? That's six, right? June, July, July, mm, August, August, September, September, November, 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 December. Math is, is hard. Give me a quadratic <laughs> equation and I can snap it out of the park because I have to count the days of the month. You know, I'm in trouble. So <laughs> Math is hard. Well, <laughs> well, anyway, we also appreciate you guys have been uh, letting us know what you'd like to hear us do and, and what, what you don't. So that's important too. And uh, we're trying to make it happen for you as well as the goofy things we like to do. So <laughs> please join yes. us again on next, next Tuesday. Tuesday. And Kim will take us down a gory rabbit hole. I will. I don't know who yet because I've got about four partially researched and written. So I'll figure something out between now and then. Well, don't tell. <laughs> it's always a surprise. But thanks again, you guys. We love y'all. We do. And we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye, y'all. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.